I am, uh, I am super cranked up about that. There's uh, the one thing I want you to remember is this date. Uh, this, when we say this spring, we mean in a few weeks that we're going to break ground. And so we're going to have a, a ceremonial groundbreaking on uh, April 18th in the evening. And want you guys to come out, uh, bring a shovel. This is how we got this under budget. We actually have to dig the basement ourselves. But... Um, but come out to that. We're going to make it a celebration and, uh, and have a lot of fun with it and just praise God for allowing us to have uh, this new tool. At Grace Church, buildings are not trophies, they're tools. And we only create them when we need that tool. And God has made that more and more abundantly clear, especially through uh, COVID. You know, it's, it's been a long season. <laughs> long <clears throat> So it's, it's good, it's good that we're here, we're praising God that it seems like uh, COVID is lifting, we're praying it continues to go that direction. It's great to see some of you guys uh, here in person, some of you were telling me you got your vaccines and you're able to be out and about, it's so good to see you. And uh, for all of us who are at home still, hope to see you when you're able and feel good about coming in, but it's neat to see all this lifting and to see this vision kick back into gear, it's an awesome, awesome thing. So good job, and that's exciting. And this spring, uh, it's gonna be fun, and it's gonna be muddy, and it's gonna be inconvenient, and we're gonna have a blast doing all of it. Uh, but by the time we get all the way through it, uh, we're gonna have this great tool in which we know that we can reach thousands of people uh, because of it. So thank you for your faithfulness, and thanks for being a part of it. Well, we're in this series right now that we've called uh, Wasting Your Life to Save the World, and I want to keep this conversation going that we've been in here these last few weeks, and uh, it's been fun to talk about. We've been talking about Jesus's kind of approach to life and uh, what drove him and how he thinks and how he functioned, and then saying as Christ followers, uh, if I'm a Christian, the Bible says I am to be like Christ or a follower of Christ. So we take Jesus's mind and his heart and his motive, and we say we wanna make those things our mind and heart and motive as well. So we've been talking about this for the last couple weeks, and we said here's the thing with Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't really come to change the world, he came to save the world. And we said that's a little bit of a different conversation. Changing the world is usually tied to the idea of leveraging yourself to make the world be the way that you want it to be. Saving the world is the idea of sacrificing myself to give the world what it needs. And that's really what Jesus did. He laid his life down. He offered himself as a sacrifice because he came to save the world and so the Bible says that Christ is our example. We as his followers should live a life of love, offering ourselves as a sacrifice like he did, and it's how we approach the world around us. So if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is the directive and the illustration that God gives us. If you're not a Christ follower yet, then this would be what you're signing up for and what you should expect from Christ followers and how we, would, uh, how we would live and how we would honor Jesus with our, with our lives. We've talked a lot about this verse in Ephesians the last couple weeks, which says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we spent a couple weeks talking about this idea of calling, and we've said that it's personal, 
and it's also corporate, and we leaned into that last weekend. So there's a podcast, there's a website, there's an app, maybe you wanna catch up on those conversations, it might be helpful, but I wanna pick the conversation back up again this weekend with this idea of our corporate calling, probably the calling uh, to the church of Jesus that's clearest and most familiar to all of us is this one, we call it the Great Commission. So Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what am I to do as a Christ follower? I am to go and make, go where? Go anywhere outside your door all the way to the ends of the earth, right? So I go, I don't just stay and have a private faith, but I go and take that to other people, and what do I do? I make disciples. I help people know the heart and the mind of Christ and the good news of who Jesus is so that they can follow him and connect to him like I have as well. And we learned last weekend that the way that this plays out is, is this way. That when I think about my personal calling and the corporate calling, I think about this relationship. My relationship with Jesus is not just between him and me. And most of us think of it that way. We're like, I have a relationship with Jesus. And if you know the Bible a little bit, you would also know that Jesus has a relationship with his church. And as North Americans, it's kind of the way that we're wired, we would tend to separate these two things. Where when you read the Bible, and, and you, it's pretty clear there that you can see it, this is my relationship with Jesus. I'm connected to Jesus, to his church, his church to me, me to the church, the church to Jesus, Jesus to me. So it's not just my calling, but my calling is tied to our calling. And when we think about the Great Commission, we asked the question last weekend, does that apply to me or does that apply to us? And the answer is yes, right? It applies to me personally, but it applies to us corporately because this is actually my relationship with Christ. The spiritual entity of the church, me as an individual, Christ is the head of all of it, but then me with each other, that's why there's over 50 commands, I cannot obey in scripture if I do not have other Christ followers a part of my life, I can't even obey God if I'm not tied to other people as well, and this is the relationship that I have with Jesus. And the great commission to go and make disciples would be the play out of that, that whole process, okay? So, when we talk about that, what I wanna talk about is this week is how, how do we live this out and how do we live this great commission out in this relationship? And what does that look like? How does that play out? And then what was Jesus' approach, what was his heart behind the play out, okay? So I want us to go to Matthew chapter nine. If you got a Bible, you can open them there. Matthew chapter nine, if you wanna use a physical copy there in the chairs, it's page 790. And then uh, of course your app and your phone is this as well. And um, this passage, Matthew chapter nine, is a very, very foundational passage, I believe, in the life of Christ followers. And it's very certainly uh, a foundational passage in the fabric of Grace Church. So if you've come to Grace Church for a while, you've heard me teach on this passage more than once. 
If you're newer to Grace Church, this may be your first time, and if you stick around, you're gonna hear me teach on this passage (laughs) more than once because this passage forms a lot of our philosophy as a church uh, concerning how I and we execute the Great Commission. And so when I'm taking that in as an individual, when we're taking that in corporately, and we know that that's our calling, how do you do that then? What was Jesus's approach? And we would find this passage very foundational for our thinking, and that's why I decided to bring it up again this weekend, okay? So Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 through 38, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples and he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus had this little method when, when he was teaching his disciples to do something. The first thing he would usually do is he would go with them. And he would like, fellas, come watch me do this. And that's kind of what you see here. And then later on, he'll send them out. Say, why don't you guys go do it and you come back and tell me what you figured out about that and I'll coach you through it. So he's kind of taking them through this for the first time right here. And he lays down an example or a method or a pattern which we would want to emulate even today, okay? So what did Jesus do? The Bible says this, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages preaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And we'll stop here for a second. So I want you to see something. The Great Commission go and make disciples, Jesus' example is this. Jesus went. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus himself went. He walked out the front door of his life, and he went where? He went to where the people are, to the towns and the villages. Some of your translations will say cities and villages. When Jesus was doing evangelism, when he was illustrating the Great Commission, he went just like he would tell you or I to go. And he went outside of his front door and he took himself to people. It's very fascinating to me that Jesus did not create himself or build himself into a Christian celebrity. He didn't go by, you know, the, the, the big stadium and fill it up. He didn't, he didn't do book deals. He didn't have TV rights. He didn't brand himself and copyright himself. What he did was he went out and interacted with people. Now, you gotta believe that there's people around him that would say, Jesus, why are you doing that? I mean, you can draw a crowd. You're God, you're like, there was no internet, but there was like Godnet. Like he could do supernatural stuff whenever he wanted. Why didn't he like broadcast himself to people's souls? Why didn't he bring everybody to the Colosseum? Why didn't he do those things? Why did he go out to where the towns and the villages were? Well, he was illustrating something and he was showing us something. And part of what he illustrates for us is where to go. Jesus went to the towns or the cities and the villages. If you were an ancient person and you were reading this verse, 
you would read this with a little bit different of a context than what we would have because you would have thought of a city or a town a little bit differently than you would have thought of a village, right? So in the ancient world, when you were out and about and you wanted to go into some place, you would have thought of those two things as two very distinct environments. In the ancient world, a city was some place that you went with permission. So if you think of an ancient city, you might think of walls around it. You might think of a big gate if you thought back until like oh, even the, the, the Middle Ages. You would think of a castle with a moat with crocodiles in it or something. And a drawbridge. Like you would think of something like that. Ancient cities almost always had walls. So if you were going to go to a city... You went into that city with some degree of permission. You would check in and out of it. We would think of it a little bit how we might use our passport to get in and out of a country. There was probably a military presence at those gates where they would guard and kind of make sure that they weren't being infiltrated. If you're an ancient person and you heard the word town, or city, and you thought about going to it, you would think about navigating the governmental systems around that to get into that town. If you heard the word village, you would hear that differently, right? In a village, the permission was not governmental. In a village, the permission was relational. And so you would go into a village and based on how the people of the village interacted with you, that determines your welcome. In fact, later on in the book of Luke, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he sent them out on one of their trips, he said that to them. He said, listen, I want you to go into a village and I want you to find the person of peace, is the way the Bible says it, and offer them peace. Find the relational connection and you offer them peace. And if they accept your peace... Stay there. Your shalom would be the word. If they accept it, you stay there. If they don't accept your peace, then turn around and leave and kick the dust off your sandals. Because it was a relational permission, it wasn't a governmental permission. So Jesus went to these difficult places, these cities, but then he went to these relational places, these villages. In our culture today, uh, we would probably think of something like a school system as a city, right? If I was going to go over to the high school and hang out with the, the teenagers there, I would need permission to do that. It's not that I couldn't. I just would need permission to do it. I would get buzzed in. I would check in the office. I would sign in. They would give me a pass. I might go hang out with the kids, come back, sign out, turn my pass back in. There's a process of which you would do that. If we were thinking about a village in our culture today, we would think about um, like recovery, the recovery community, or the athletic community where we're there by, by relationship. If we said to the recovery community, we want to interact with you. We did this when we were building the Restore Center. We want to interact with you. We want to give you something. We want to make a place for you. Do you want us to do that? There's a, 
a relational interaction. They gave peace to us and we gave peace to them and we were able to create something. Sports works that way too. Uh, we, do you guys want your kids to play soccer? Do you want them to play basketball? Are you interested in that? And the community determines the reception of that or the rejection of that, but it's a relational uh, permission. It's not a governmental or structural permission, right? So Jesus says, this plays out like this. That you go, I would personally look at this, I would say, hey, Jeff, my responsibility is I'm looking at the towns and the villages that are in my life. A town or a city in like your life might be your workplace. You can't just show up at work and do whatever you wanna do, but you're allowed to go there. A village in your life or my life might be like my neighborhood or my kids' sporting events, whatever, where I have a relational permission to be there. So I'm going to look and say, I'm going to go. I'm not just going to sit in my house and think Jesus' thoughts or hold up in a monastery and take a vow of silence and poverty. I'm going to go into these places and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And I'm gonna meet people's needs wherever I'm able to do that. So what is the Great Commission? How does the Great Commission play out? I am doing this and we are doing that. I am looking at towns and villages. We are looking at towns and villages. We would all do that corporately together because my calling is tied to our calling. And we would function that way individually and we would function that way as a church. And what are we doing? We're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and meeting people's needs. Why do you work where you work? Because God loves the people that you work with so he sent you there. Why do you live where you live? Because God loves the people in your neighborhood so he sent you there. Why are you on the team that you're on the team? Why, why are you on that team? Because God loves your teammates so he gave you the ability to make that team. Right? And on and on and on go. I would have that responsibility. Why do we as a church do things corporately? Because God's given us certain opportunities. He's opened certain doors. We have certain, certain villages that we've been welcomed into, right? And we're going to extend or give the peace of Christ to there. And I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Now, this is the how of the Great Commission. This is the how this plays out in terms of the Great Commission. But Jesus didn't just stop with the how. He didn't just give us instructions and say, do it this way, kids. Go in there. If you've got to get a loudspeaker, get one. If you've got to scream over social media, scream. He also gave us the heart behind it, and the heart makes the how make sense. So how do I do it? I go where? To where the people are, to do what? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom and meet their needs wherever I'm able to meet their needs. But what motivates all that? The growth of the church? That's not very exciting. The, the proselytization of people who don't agree with us, eh, that's not as much fun as you want it to be. 
why are we doing that? Why am I involved? Why are you involved? And the heart behind the how is what Jesus does next. When he went into those towns and villages, and when we go into those towns and villages, this was his heartbeat. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus goes into these towns and villages and he sees people. He sees crowds. And when he sees these crowds, his heartbeat was compassion. It wasn't contempt. It wasn't self-interest. It wasn't political. It wasn't, we're going to straighten all these people out, right? It wasn't, I want the world to be a certain way, and I got to get enough people on my team to make it that way. It didn't come to change the world. It was to save the world. His compassion on them, why? Because when he looked at their sin, and he looked at their dysfunction, and he looked at their brokenness, what he saw were people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. See? When Jesus looked at people, he saw the needs of their heart. And he saw the needs of their life. And he saw their lack of, not just life direction, he saw that they were searching spiritually. He saw that they were reacting to each other in their pain. He saw that they were helpless in what they were doing. And what it stirred in him was not contempt, not competitiveness. What it stirred in him was compassion, right? Why does that little kid who plays basketball, why is he such a booger? Why is he such a booger? Why is that little girl, why, why is she so difficult? Why can't she sit still? What's the deal with that college student? Why are they so attached to those crazy ideas? What, what, what's the deal with that old person? Why are they so grumpy? Right? What is their deal? And what are we going to do about them? When Jesus saw that, what he saw was people that he loved. People that he loved. He looked right through that little kid and saw that that little kid doesn't know who his daddy is. So what's he supposed to do? He's not being shaped, he's not being formed. He doesn't know what to do, so he's doing what he feels. When Jesus saw that little girl he saw her insecurity. And that she's actually not a booger, she's actually scared. And so in her fear, she acts in some weird ways. When, when he saw that college student with that weird idea, what he saw was somebody looking for purpose. I'm trying to figure out what to live for, and nobody's ever told me. Nobody's ever guided me. I don't even know what to lock on to, so I lock on to the next thing. When, when he saw that 
old grumpy person, what he saw was their pain and how scar tissue had built up on their heart because they'd been wounded so much over the course of their lifetime. He found himself in the middle of people. And these people didn't bug him. They didn't get on his nerves. And they, they didn't push him away. And he didn't say, well, I just forget it. He saw these people. And what he saw was their helplessness. And their brokenness. He saw their diseases and their sicknesses, their insecurity, and their anxiety, and their depression, and their fears, and their pride, and their woundedness. And his heart broke. And my heart is connected to Christ's heart. And Christ's heart's connected to the church, and the church is me. And so when God saw the brokenness and the pain of people and he had compassion on them like he did on you and me if you're a Christ follower, his, his compassion took him to them in any way that possibly made sense to them. And he says something fascinating. He looks at his disciples who also have his heart because we are that diagram. And he says to his disciples, when I see the harvest, what I see is a plentiful harvest. I don't see a pain in the neck harvest. I don't see a difficult harvest. I don't see a harvest of political enemies. I don't see a harvest of people who don't agree with me. What I see is a plentiful harvest. The harvest is never, ever the issue. He said, I see a harvest, but what I don't see are workers. I don't see the commissioned going and making. I don't see the workers. And when you hear him say that, my mind would jump then, right? I'd be like, if I don't see the workers, and I just redeemed all these workers, some of these workers are going to get a chewing. I mean, you know what? You should be working. I told you to work. I'm God. Now everybody gets transferred to Michigan, right? I'd be like, What's, what are you doing? The workers should be working. What's the problem with the workers? Get off your rear ends and work. That's the way that I would handle that. But Jesus says something fascinating. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Isn't that fascinating? See, I don't see workers going and making, but that's the calling of the workers so those of you who are with me, what you should do is ask me to send out workers to the harvest field. Isn't that fascinating? 
Jesus would look and say, when the workers aren't working, ready? The connection between me and them, and them and the church, and the church is me, is somehow broken. And what we need to do is ask the Lord not to put a Navy, Christian Navy SEAL calling on a couple people. God is a missionary, God is a pastor. We need to ask the Lord to strengthen and motivate and work and empower the heart of his people. Because when you love Christ and are loved by Christ, you will love the people who love Christ and are powered by Christ, and you will do the work that Christ did. And we'll do that personally, and we'll do that corporately. Called, how? To go outside our door, wherever our town and our village is, to do what? Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What's the motive, though? The same compassion and love that Christ has for you. And he instills that and feeds that and drives that into those who are sent to that harvest field, which is plentiful and ripe and all around us. I've been doing this gig for a while now. It's taken its toll. I, I, w- I was watching a video of myself in 2019 because I was trying to remember something that I said. I'm watching that video, and I watched myself, and then I looked at myself in the mirror, and I thought, it has been a really rough year on you, Jeff. Big bags under your eyes and bags on your stomach. I mean, I'm like, good night. It's taken its toll. But I've been doing this gig for a long time. 28 years in June, I'll be a pastor. We should celebrate. I like cash and gift cards the most. I said this two years ago. In my 28 years, I have rarely, rarely seen the harvest beckon the harvesters. And when we launched All In, All Out, it wasn't because we were looking for something to do and it wasn't because we wanted a new building because buildings for us are not trophies or tools. Think of another place in our culture where our culture is saying to the church, please give us more of you. The recovery community looked and said, please give us more of you. Well, you know we're a church. Please give us more. You know we'll do this, but it's going to be a Christ-centered recovery. Please do give us more. You know, we're going to disciple you in Jesus and Jesus alone, not higher power, but like Jesus Christ. Please give us more. Well, if we do this, We're going to root your recovery in the person of Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. And they looked at us and said, but it's no cost, right? 
people who cannot afford high-end recovery centers can come to Restore and you're not gonna charge them. Are you saying that to us? That's what we're saying to you. It doesn't cost to go to Restore. That's why we built the building, so that they, we didn't have to work that into their financial plan. If we don't care if it's in the name of Jesus, we want you here. And if you will have compassion on us, you can tell us about the God who motivates your compassion. We don't care. That's why we're building this athletic facility. It's not because we want a new building. It's because our sports ministries have been wildly effective. Our community has said to us, can you come further into this field? We're gonna disciple your kids, like we're gonna give them things to have devotions every night, then help them do, uh, it's fine. Can you come further into this field? We're gonna pray with the children like every time, but there's a basketball, right? Will you come further in this field? We're gonna sit down with every single one of the kids, high school students and college students who are involved and adults, and we're gonna go through the story of Jesus with them individually, right? But the gym's gonna be open, right? Will you please come into this field. And when we have those invitations and we have a offer of peace from a village, Jesus told his disciples, go there and stay there and proclaim the good news and I will work in the hearts and the minds of those people. Guys, this is the calling of God on every life. And things like restore and the athletic facility, that's just a, a method, it's just a tool, it's all that it is. It's just been working. Our community begged us to have our sports programs open all through COVID. The amount of work and creativity and sacrifice on behalf of of the volunteers and the staff of our sports ministry is unbelievable because our community was saying, please do this. Our kids need this. They asked us to tell them about Jesus. And when we saw them, we didn't see customers. We didn't see numbers. We saw harassed and helpless people who would let us lead them to the heart of a loving and powerful God. See how it works? Now this talk is not super popular nowadays. In fact, if you pick up a heart for evangelism and and you say, I'm praying for my three and I'm waiting for that no-brainer moment, I want God to work, people are gonna look at you and say, man, you are wasting your life. 
wasting your life telling people about God, wasting your life. You know, it might shut doors for you in your career. It might put up a wall someplace. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your life giving money to build a bit. That's a waste of life. And we might look and say, well, what you call a waste, we call an open door. What you call a waste, we think of as a calling from God. What you call a waste, we might see as an opportunity. What you call a waste, bunch of kids, we would call a harvest. I guess if I'm wasting my life, that's what I'm gonna do. But I wanna waste my life to save the world. My favorite stat at Grace Church, and we got a bunch of them, (laughs) but my favorite stat at Grace Church is this. Every 31 hours, every 31 hours, someone accepts Christ at Grace Church. Every 31 hours. The harvest is plentiful. That is never an issue. It's the workers. It's those who will walk outside their door. Those who will go and make. That's always the issue. And if I'm gonna follow Jesus, then I'm gonna live a life of love. I'm gonna offer myself as a sacrifice, right? And I'm going to go and make, right? I'm gonna go and make, I'm gonna help people know the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, would you help us with this, all of us? God, uh, whether it's sports ministry or restore all in, all out stuff, or it's just a neighbor or a friend or a family member Lord, your word says how beautiful are the feet of those who go and tell the good news. And Lord, to be where people are, you have us there. You placed us there because you want us to be there, but you did it with a calling. And we wanna live a life worthy of that calling. This was done for us. Somebody told us about you. Somebody went and made us so God help us to have that same passion in our hearts thank you for the faithfulness of your people thank you for the work thank you for the finances and God thank you for the harvest field that we get to work in and be a part of God would you give us your heart you've given us this opportunity and would you go before it as we act on it Jesus